Good morning, everyone. I'm R.W. Estella with a word in Edgewise. Today is the 6th of July, the 188th day of this leap year of 2020, with 178 days ahead of us until 2021. In other words, we're about halfway through this year. Toward the end of last week, the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases worldwide was nearly 10.9 million, an increase of over 1.2 million since the week before. The number of confirmed cases in the United States near the end of this past week was over 2.7 million, an increase of more than 300,000 cases since the week before. In second place, again, was Brazil, its confirmed cases at 1.5 million. In third place, again, was Russia, having a cumulative total of over 667,000 confirmed cases. India, again, was in fourth place at nearly 626,000 confirmed cases, followed somewhat distantly by Peru in fifth place with almost 292,000 confirmed cases, and the UK in sixth place with nearly 286,000 confirmed cases. Chile followed closely with nearly 285,000 cases for seventh place. The number of deaths from COVID-19 globally by this past Friday was nearing 522,000, up over 32,000 from the previous week an increase somewhat similar to that from the week before. This past Friday, confirmed COVID-19 deaths in the United States totaled nearly 129,000, up more than 4,500 deaths from the previous week. In other words, nationwide, COVID-19 this past week killed more than 640 United States citizens per day. We remain the number one hotspot for coronavirus deaths on the planet, with Brazil again in second place, having nearly 62,000 deaths, and the UK again in third place at over 44,000 deaths. Italy in fourth place this past week has a death toll of more than 34,800. This past week, United States President Donald Trump told Fox Business News, quote, I think we're going to be very good with the coronavirus. I think that, at some point, that's going to sort of just disappear, I hope, close quote. Put another way, many statisticians might say, indeed, we as Americans have been very good with the coronavirus. We've managed almost from the beginning to embrace the virus in ways the rest of the world has not yet managed to accomplish. Week after week, we have led by leaps and bounds in the number of confirmed cases and the number of fatalities. Yes, we are most adept at facilitating the spread of this virus. Meanwhile, day before last on the 4th of July, our planet swung out to aphelion, its most distant point from the sun, proving once again that Earth's orbit is almost, but not quite, circular. On Independence Day and for a while after, our orbit has been taking us about 3 million miles farther from the sun than we will be several months from now at our usual 93 million miles. Yesterday morning, we had July's full moon, known as the Hay Moon and the Thunder Moon. Yesterday was also the anniversary of Sir Isaac Newton's Principia, being published in 1687. Of great interest to the astronomy community, according to this past week's edition of peer-reviewed journal Physical Review Letters, is a new study from Caltech about elusive signals from black hole mergers called gravitational waves, 
and the evidence presented in observed light-producing scenarios emanating from 12.8 billion light-years away. Significantly closer than that, however, is our chance to use the Big Dipper in the constellation Ursa Major, the Great Bear, to find our sky's northern pole star, Polaris, by drawing a line through the Big Dipper's pointer stars, Dubé and Merak, at the southernmost rim of the Dipper. That line then points to Polaris. Today, in 1885, bacteriologist Louis Pasteur successfully administered an anti-rabies vaccine to nine-year-old Joseph Meister, saving his life. Today, in 1955, the United States implemented the Federal Air Pollution Control Act for research into causal analysis and control of automobile-emitted pollution. The legislation was prompted by the killer fog in London that had left over 4,000 dead and had created concern around the world about the effects of vehicular emissions. Today in Hell's Kitchen, New York City, in 1946, Sylvester Stallone was born to a father who ran a chain of beauty parlors and a mother who was a former chorus girl. When his parents divorced, Sylvester was raised in Philadelphia and became a difficult kid who was kicked out of several schools. Cast in a school production of Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman, Sylvester became interested in acting, though he studied hairdressing and did a stint as a gym instructor at a Swiss girls' school before enrolling in formal dramatic training at the University of Miami. Getting started in films was hard, so Sylvester supported himself with various odd jobs. He demonstrated foods, swept lion cages, and was an usher in a movie house where he met his first wife, who supported Sylvester's interest in acting. He continued giving up acting when a director told Sylvester he had a New York accent so thick that it constituted a speech impediment. Later, Sylvester would say, Now that's kind of an extreme rejection, you know? I wanted to go to Australia to work with cattle. It's not like saying, let's go home to be, you know, a phys ed instructor. I didn't know anything about cattle or Australia. Sylvester's first role on Broadway featured nudity. His first film was a tame adult movie called A Party at Kitty and Studs. But Sylvester Stallone's beginnings of real success were in the film The Lords of Flatbush in 1974, co-starring with Henry Winkler. Soon after, Stallone watched little-known boxer Chuck Wepner go almost 15 rounds with Muhammad Ali. And this prompted Stallone to spend just 86 hours writing a screenplay, which he was offered 300000 for, but refused, because he would, he would not be the star of the film. Yet soon, because of his newfound reputation from Flatbush, Stallone's terms were accepted, and in 1976, Rocky was made became a hit, and won three Oscars. Later, in a Rolling Stone interview, Stallone described his drive to become an actor. It's like walking around with a present that nobody wants. That's the way I felt as a child. A lot of actors felt that way, I think, and now, luckily, there's an outlet for it. Today is also the birthday in 1747 of John Paul Jones, in 1921 of Bill Haley, in 1923 of Nancy Reagan, in 1925 of Merv Griffin, in 1932 of Della Reese, in 1946 of George W. Bush, and in 1951 of Jeffrey Rush.
Perhaps many have noticed these past few months that data collectors such as Johns Hopkins University call their COVID-19 reports situation reports. And for good reason. We're now needing more than ever for everyone to ramp up his and her situational awareness game. In the produce section yesterday of a large grocery store, I was selecting fruits and vegetables and loading my shopping cart while overhearing three adults in their 30s and two middle school-aged children carry on a conversation with much bravura about how they have not worn any masks yet and do not intend to. Those of us who were wearing masks patiently moved on, and I wondered about the future of the pandemic. From Orono, Maine, I'm R.W. Estella with a word in Edgewise. Here's to the third official week of summer 2020.